AT&T ThreatTrack is a roundtable discussion of the latest network security trends and news conducted by AT&T data security analysts. Complete video of this show is available at techchannel.att.com. I'm Michael Singer. I work at AT&T in cybersecurity, protecting the enterprise, and I also work on our FirstNet program. So you're gonna hear from me and from John Markley, my colleague. John and I have been working together for years. I learned today that he has been in cybersecurity longer than I have. He has about five more years than I do. So John and I both picked stories and we're gonna share them with each other and with you. All right, hey John, how you doing today? I'm doing great, how are you Michael? Awesome, I have a story I wanted to share with you. Uh, Russia in the news, this one's about mobile devices being hacked. You know, you hear a lot about Russia and that there's a lot of uh, people with cybersecurity skills that use them to, uh, to get into stuff. And in this case, uh, Android mobile phones, but what caught my eye, they said they had a million Android mobile phones that they had taken control of. And uh, then just to add to, um, I guess, the, uh, the sophistication of what they did, they kind of waited silently for users who use mobile banking they did discover that they use mobile banking, and then uh, they would try to ask the bank to transfer some money. I think on the average, it said about 140 bucks um, to their account, and then they would um, they had controls on the device so that any messages that would have alerted the user, hey, somebody's trying to do something here, and I didn't authorize this, they were able to just block all of that from the user's view on the mobile devices. I, I think a lot of the challenge there, of course, is that these users these million or however many probably don't have legitimate banking apps to begin with. Somehow they got the wrong or, you know, erroneous app onto that device. It sounded like using fake apps was one of the ways they compromised the million devices. It looks like it's the right app you're thinking of when you go to the Play Store, but it's really a fake version that has a backdoor and allows remote control of the device. I know a lot of the mobile uh, uh, operating systems, too, are starting to implement mechanisms where you can't take over the the four screen you know on the on the device so that if something does pop up like you're mentioning like a, a warning message or whatever you can't block that all those messages you know that app has that control of that that uh, you know that, that front uh, programmatically so I think uh, just to me this sounded like one of the biggest mobile incidents that I'd heard of I, I know that uh, to start with people felt so much more comfortable using their mobile devices could we even test Oh, I'll go there on my mobile because it won't hurt my mobile, right? That was kind of the way people thought. Um, but I think a million uh, infected Android devices, uh, it's pretty significant. I don't know if there's been a bigger one. Is there a bigger one that uh, I didn't see, see or hear about? Uh, not, not that's gone public. <laughs> you know, sometimes you never know, but nothing that I've heard of. Any advice? Should we give people advice? Better be good advice. We better follow it ourselves. Yeah, well, I mean, it's advice we tell everybody, right? Not to you know, load only stuff from approved apps. And our and you know stores, you know, don't don't root your device, don't you know sideload. If you know, make sure permissions are accurate. You know, if it asks for administrative access, tell it no. You know, those are the the common things we tell uh, users anymore. You know, just I know know what you're putting on the device. Yeah, I think um, usually we would start by saying make sure your software is up to date. You've applied all the security patches. But even if you do that. If you download an app that's a fake version of the app you think you're downloading, you're still vulnerable because you downloaded the wrong app. Yeah. Well, but it, again, I think it's the key there is is that a lot of these guys are going to 
not the approved Google Play Store. They're going to third-party app stores, and that's the, the you know the biggest the biggest flaw that you know people start down that path is that they feel, feel like they can get stuff for free or they can get you know uh, uh, something they can't get on the approved app store, so they start going down that path of, of loading from third-party stores, and you just you just never know what you're going to get in those cases. Yeah, I mean, we would call it side-loading, right? And that's, that's one way, yeah. And most of the time, you thought the user wanted to sideload, right? They were trying to get something that wasn't on the, the main store. But uh, is it possible to um, where the user doesn't even realize what store it's coming from? They're just doing something, and then here comes the app? But typically, you've had to click something, either go to the store, or you got a text pop-up or something like that, and say, okay, I'm going to click this link. You, you've had to do something to initiate we talk uh, on ThreadTrack about how if users are willing to download apps from um, stores that may not be the official stores, third-party app stores, side-loading, whatever you want to call it, if they're willing to do that, they're definitely exposing themselves to a lot of risk. Be careful where you get your apps. So, so Michael, in the, in the news recently, there's been a story about BlackBerry. I mean, we haven't heard from BlackBerry in a while, so something, something, something from the blast in the past, right? Yeah. BlackBerry wants to get into the uh, secure car field and, and actually have antivirus for cars you know, that are running, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, programmatic, uh, you know, interface or whatever just to, to, you know, to connect those cars to the Internet. And uh, they want to, they think that there's a market for antivirus. You know, we don't typically consider your car as a vector for, for hacking, though, we've seen some stories, you know, where people have taken over cars or done some other things so that certainly, uh, you know, were instituted or, you know, instigated by risky behavior in the first place. Uh, I think that the key element here, more than anything else, is, is, you know, we're getting into that Internet of Things and that world where we have to consider so many things are connected, but we also have to treat them as you know in a secure fashion. So, so there's the argument there is is how did a car or whatever get infected with a virus in the first place, and, and then and then how do you keep it updated? And, and I know that um, you know that's that's always a good challenge uh, from from anyone's perspective. And I think as long as the consumer is doing things in a secure fashion, know who's connecting. Um, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm a little skeptical on, on really a, a big market uh, need for, for antivirus on a car. I, I don't know. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, you have a lot of other things protecting you when you're in a car, right? You have all these uh, new cameras are sticking everywhere to tell you when you're in danger. It seems like you should be able to put some protection against uh, cyber threats. I don't think there have been that many of them to date. I think um, it's not millions of signatures you'd be talking about. It's, it's uh, dozens of signatures. You know, I think every AV provider out there has kind of shifted their thinking and their model to more behavior-based. Like, watch for something that just doesn't look right. When somebody takes over something, what are the things they do? And then that uh, requesting extra permission or writing to something they shouldn't be changing configuration on. So that kind of advanced um, set of um, controls and spotting that and stopping those. Um, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. The, the stuff I've read about where somebody was able to get into a vehicle systems and turn off the brakes or go through the stereo and take control of the main computer, I mean, those seemed like if you follow kind of the, the practices we would follow, you know, in our, our, our uh, standards and our policies, you want least privilege. You shouldn't let access go way across completely unrelated systems and components. 
And if somebody does get some rights as a user, they don't get all the rights, you know, to be an admin and, and update anything they want throughout the whole system. So, you know, I think some controls make sense. I don't know if it's a client and I don't know if it's, I don't even know if the threat is going to be a file and it's going to be called a virus. You know, so it's probably a little different way of thinking that is needed in, in this space. Well, and you, you think about how, how's, the, how's the vehicle or anything going to actually connect up to get this vector, right? Are you plugging something into the, the ODB slot? Are you connecting to a rogue Bluetooth? It, it, it seems like the, the, the vector is so challenging, and, it, which is, and it's really it's the same thing I'm going to upgrade. You know, I'm going to upgrade the device, you know, or the car. I have to go to the dealer to do that in the first place, you know, if you're going to do it legitimately. I mean, there's, there's very few cars that you can update without going to the dealer. So it, to, to me, it's just it, it's almost like you do with cellular phones, right? As long as you're taking care of it the way you're supposed to, keep it updated, don't connect to rogue spots, don't plug weird things in it that you find on the street. You know, cause I think that right now I just, I, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how you could get, in anything malicious, you know, in, in the first place. It's hard to believe that automobiles would actually run a traditional antivirus software agent, but it's possible to put more protection around the vehicles, absolutely. And if this software agent could do that, you know, I'm all for more protection of those vehicles. I don't want my vehicle getting hacked, especially while I'm driving. There is once again an attack that uh, people, people are saying might be the doomsday uh, scenario. Uh, Eternal Rocks is the name given to a new worm. Uh, that has been spotted. This one, um, you know, I'll get your thoughts, John, if you think it could be the doomsday threat. It uh, takes advantage of a vulnerability from March. Uh, it was the, the MSO1710 uh, vulnerability server message block. And uh, this is the one that uh, there's already been some exploitation of this uh, and people were actively trying to get everything patched. Uh, this is also where uh, Microsoft kind of did something unusual, and they even gave you a patch for XP systems that you might still have running, because there were still, you know, you know, maybe 7% of the systems out there were still running XP, so they stepped up to the plate and said, here's a patch, even though we haven't had patches in years for that particular type of uh, Windows system. Um, so um, a worm that spreads without user interaction, uh, because it's, you know, remote code execution, if SMB is running, uh, so an unpatched system could just become infected. This particular uh, new worm, uh, from what's been seen so far, doesn't have a kill switch like some of the earlier worms had, which kind of um, limited how much they spread and, and how many systems became infected across the world. Um, so it does sound like um, you know, it has a potential to, to do some uh, disruption and uh, to infect quite a few machines across the planet if people haven't applied that, that March patch on their systems. Anything I said scare you, make you want to run for shelter or um, get your uh, your supplies out, uh, doomsday scenario? Yeah, in, in the you know, 20, 20 plus years I've been working security, I'm like you, you know, I keep hearing this is the end of, you know, the of everything. I, I do think that, you know, it certainly speaks to the need to patch. I, I've also heard that most large corporations, large businesses, um, you know, use best practices and block SMB both inbound and outbound from their perimeter. And, and so, you know, from that perspective, you're, you're preventing a lot of this type of attack from even, you know, even being successful just because you're blocking the port that needs uh, to communicate on. 
So from a defense in depth perspective, you shouldn't have machines that would be reachable with an SMB vulnerability from the internet. Um, then on the endpoint, if it's patched, you shouldn't be vulnerable to the exploits. Even though they try a few different exploits, sounds like seven different exploits are used to try to get to that endpoint. And then we can rely on um, the endpoint protection type of controls. If, if they can get a sample and write signatures or maybe some of the more advanced next-gen endpoint protection would just see what that worm is doing and say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going to allow that and stop it. Um, you know, at installation. Yeah, I, I, would, I would also say, you know, not only inbound from the Internet, but outbound to the Internet from your devices. You know, you really don't want to have, there, there should be no need to communicate, you know, externally over those, uh, what you always call net BIOS ports or SMB ports. There was one unique attribute, I think, to this worm in that it waited a day before it phoned home over the back door that had been installed. So that you wouldn't, if you're uh, watching the network for that type of activity, it's been on the system for a day before you would see those machines doing that and be able to go and take them offline and remediate them. Yeah, I, I think you're also gonna see, you know, the other facet that, you know, these are so much ransomware. You know, I, I think the doxing type vectors where you're actually releasing private information or gathering, you know, sensitive information, you know, that's the type of thing that seems to be getting a little bit more success in getting, you know, the ransom paid, <laughs> you know, it, but it's, it's certainly, you know, not, again, something that we want to, you know, to law out there, you know, that it's a good thing to do, but it, it is, you know, uh, you know, the challenge, you know, when you have an infection or you have a, an attacker on your network or on your devices for long lengths of time without, uh, you know, like I said, a day even might be enough to spread it pretty far. Right. And you're thinking destructive when you think doomsday. Um, I mean, what, yeah, I mean what, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and once they're on there, I mean, they can do destructive things, right, if they have the back door. I, just, I, I still remember back the old days, and, you know, when I did the Unix, you know, Unix uh, admin stuff, you know, it's a little RM minus RF flash, you know, and you just delete everything from the root directory on down on every device, you know, which, you know, would, would probably, probably succeed. Fairly, fairly quickly and shutting you down. Right. I mean, a lot of times when, when the attackers take over a system, they want to use it to do something. And when you destroy it, you're not really going to be able to use it to do anything. So it depends on where they're coming from, what their motives are, you know, who's behind the attack. So um, we don't know who wrote this worm, but maybe they're not. Their goal isn't just to disrupt and destroy uh, assets across the globe. Hey, John, I uh, heard we uh, have a little uh, quiz to take today. Yes, you do, and we're going to stump the heck out of you. That's that's what I've decided today. <laughs> stump Michael and Manny. Great. The first question uh, may be a little tricky, so we'll we'll see how y'all do. As we know, you know, a, a lot of our mobile operating system vendors are doing things to help protect the consumer. You know, the the end device, and that's the same certainly for for Google on Android. What do you know about how Google is protecting your device, uh, especially against malicious applications? I'm going to give you a list of of product names or, or really processes, and you're going to tell me which ones are real, basically. Uh, number one is Stinger. Number two is Verify App. Number three is Safety Net. Number four is Play Protect. Number five is Bouncer. And number six is App Check. Well, I would say Stinger was the name of a tool you could use to find viruses. Even if you didn't have the AV client running, you could use Stinger, and it was like a way to check your system real quick. So I'm going to eliminate Stinger 
from consideration. That leaves us with how many? Six more? Five, five more. Five more? <laughs> well, that ruins my answer, because I was just going to say all of the above, because that's usually the answer to these. But <laughs> See, you can disagree with Michael. You know, maybe Michael's wrong. How many of the remaining five are we supposed to focus on? Two or three? Or <laughs> Well, uh, let's, let's do it this way. I, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you, Michael, you're right. Singer is not the correct answer. Woohoo! On our way. So, <laughs> on our way, man. So, so let's walk through these. Verify apps. What do you all think? Verify apps, real or not real? Verify app. I mean, that sounds like it should be a, a good one, right? I mean, because just it's simple. Right. I'm just not sure that it's just like a process running, right, in memory. And I don't know how it could do that job. It's a pretty tough job to do if you're going to verify like the authenticity, like how is it signed? Oh, maybe. Okay, I'm going to yeah. go with I'm going to go with Manny on Verify app is, is real. Good, good, good answer because it is real. All right. All right. <laughs> It is real. So, so it, is, it is a process. It's one of the primary processes that check to make sure that the applications running on a device are, are clean. And it also, not only that, but it also makes sure that if you've installed the device, they'll kind of check it again to make sure that it's legitimate. Great. Gotcha. Two for two. We're looking so good here. The thing to think about, these are things that people a lot of times turn off, and this is what makes their devices susceptible to attack. So, so, so the next one is, is safety net. Safety net. That sounds too vague to me. Like a, maybe it was a movie uh, about right. hacking. Right. <laughs> I would just call foul just because it sounds too big to me. Yeah, I say, yeah, safety net seems, yeah, seems a little too all-encompassing. Yeah. Well, well you, you guys are both wrong. Uh. <laughs> safety net is real. Actually, safety net is, is a core part of Verify app. Okay. And then, and then so number four. Here's the, it's play protect. This one, this one's kind of a tricky one, and not everybody's going to know this one. So the play uh, store, play and you're going to protect yeah, it. I, I'm going to give you this one to you just because I think it's going to be too tough. Play protect is a new name for uh, Google has just recently renamed Verify apps in some ways, and and it's called play protect. Okay. So, so that that one that was a little tough. So, so the last two are bouncer and app check. So I'm going to tell you right up front, one of these is real, one of these is not. So we got what? Bouncer, Bouncer and app check. And app check. We already verified the app, so I'm thinking Bouncer is real and app check is not. Oh, I like your logic there. <laughs> Bouncer would be the one that yeah. kills the process if it, if it doesn't look right. Because I have nothing else to go on, <laughs> I'm going to agree with your logic there that, that Bouncer is the is the real one there. So right now I would say that I have succeeded at convincing Manny right. to go along with it. I might be wrong. But I, every every one of these does Manny have no unique opinions of his own? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you, and you guys are right. I mean, your logic's a little flawed. I have to <laughs> let you know. <laughs> Bouncer is the process that they run the app through to make sure that they, they they try to prevent a bad app from actually being on the Play Store, and that and Bouncer is the is the name of that that process that they use. Excellent. Yeah, so, so good job, good job. Like, and these are tough, but it, I think for, for professionals, especially as we get more into mobile and more things run on mobile operating systems, it, it's kind of nice to know these terms, you know, and just to, you know, to kick them around. And so when, when you hear them, you know what they might mean. Right, yeah. So you guys ready for question number two? Oh, man, that was just question one. Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> <laughs> question two is easy. You guys are going to fly through this one. I'm, I'm telling you right up front, this one's easy. So I'm going to give you a list of port numbers or, or port names, and, and you need to tell me either the port number associated with that name or a common name if I give you, like, a port number. 
and I know you guys are going to know this, especially fans of this show. You know, you're going to see Brian and those guys talk a lot of times about the Internet Weather Report. They mention these things sometimes interchangeably, and it's kind of nice to know, you know, what, what that me- means in the background. So, so the, the first one, and we, you know, Michael, I think you, you're probably going to get this. I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> SMB. What, what port uh, numbers are SMB? I always think of 445 as an SMB port, but uh, I think there's more than that. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, 445 I think TCP that sounds right. We're talking ourselves into 445 <laughs> TCP. Well, that's that's one of many. Let's put it that way. 135, 137, 139, and 445. Okay. 445 is really what's new. You know, if you go back to the old days of NetBIOS, NetBuoy, you used to see some of those other ports, but 445 is it's probably the most prevalent one for legitimate traffic nowadays. Here's another one, TCP-23. Sounds like a familiar one. Sounds like a familiar one, right? I think it's Telnet. You're on the right track. I'll give you that. I think the number one scan port is Telnet, and I think it's 23. Manny, will you agree? I'm absolutely going to agree. (laughs) Okay, well, you're right. It is is Telnet. And and that's a lot of times we'll see that, you know, in, in the Internet Weather Report, you'll see either a 23 as a big number for scans, or, you know, and, and that is the Telnet port. That's the protocol we're talking about. All right, here, here's the next one. UDP 53. Sounds like DNS. DNS, domain name services. That's, that's exactly right. UDP, and, and, and a lot of times you'll see TCP 53 as well, but UDP for, for DNS is, is most prevalent. Here's the last one, and, and I'm going to use a different name for it. So this one, this one is a little tricky. It's CWMP. So Charlie, Walter, Mary, Paul. Got me on CWMP. CWMP. Can we can we ask for for what it what life stands line, for? Right. right? <laughs> yeah. So so it's also a lot of times we'll talk. You you probably have seen them attacked against what they call TR zero sixty nine or remote management. You know, it's the stuff that people are attacking Internet of Things with. Okay. And that is that is, and I that I just tell you, it's seventy five forty seven. So if you look at the Internet weather reports from you know past threat tracks. You'll see high numbers of, of 7547, and that's that attacks against, uh, you know, the remote management ports of route, routers and uh, devices uh, on that uh, to, to do the remote management uh, type attacks against them. And so it's a really important protocol, um, but a lot of people don't know it uh, just because, it, it's, you know, until the last few years hasn't really been uh, well known in the, uh, in the industry. Okay. That's the quiz. I knew that one was going to be a little tricky. But I, I know that you know you guys you know you at least you know knew except for the last one you knew that you know you knew what the protocols were that we're talking about so that's really good. There is another there's another port associated with TR, 069. Yeah, there's there's actually several. Right. Um, seventy five forty seven is the one that they seem to be doing a lot of scanning again. Right. Very good, very good, guys. Uh, so so the next time I'll have to find one a little bit harder, right? <laughs> Those were good. Yeah, no, I, th- I, th- I think we, we, didn't do, we didn't do so well on those. So. <laughs> it depends on the scale. We still got like 80%, right? It, what's a passing right. grade? It's passing. You pass. And I usually tell people if you get a 99% of your security stuff right, you still fail because they're in, right? Right. That's true. <laughs> yes, I, I don't take that many quizzes. I, mean, I would like to have gotten 100%, but I think uh, we did all right. All right, well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. It was great to be on ThreadTrack.
Uh, as always, there's no lack of interesting things to talk about when it comes to cybersecurity. Always something new, always something interesting. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.